0: Section 64 of The History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in August 2015. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thomson, Volume 2, Chapter 6 of The Atomic Theory, Part 1. I come now to the last improvement which chemistry has received, an improvement which has given a degree of accuracy to chemical experimenting almost approaching to mathematical precision, which has simplified prodigiously our views respecting chemical combinations, which has enabled manufacturers to introduce theoretical improvements into their processes, and to regulate with almost perfect precision the relative quantities of the various constituents necessary to produce the intended effects. The consequence of this is that nothing is wasted, nothing is thrown away. Chemical products have become not only better in quality, but more abundant and much cheaper. I allude to the atomic theory, still only in its infancy, but already productive of the most important benefits. It is destined one day to produce still more wonderful effects, and to render chemistry not only the most delightful, but the most useful and indispensable of all the sciences. Like all other great improvements in science, the atomic theory developed itself by degrees, and several of the older chemists ascertained facts which might, had they been aware of their importance, have led them to conclusions similar to those of the moderns. The very attempt to analyze the salts was an acknowledgment that bodies united with each other in definite proportions, and these definite proportions, had they been followed out, would have led ultimately to the doctrine of atoms. For how could it be that six parts of potash were always saturated by five parts of sulphuric acid? and 6.75 parts of nitric acid. How came it that 5 of sulphuric acid always went as far in saturating potash as 6.75 of nitric acid? It was known that in chemical combinations it was the ultimate particles of matter that combined. The simple explanation therefore would have been that the weight of an ultimate particle of sulphuric acid was only 5 while that of an ultimate particle of nitric acid was 6.75. Had such an inference been drawn, it would have led directly to the atomic theory. The atomic theory in chemistry has many points of resemblance to the fluxionary calculus in mathematics. Both give us the ratios of quantities. Both reduce investigations that would be otherwise extremely difficult, or almost impossible, to the utmost simplicity. And what is still more curious both have been subjected to the same kind of ridicule by those who have not put themselves to the trouble of studying them with such attention as to understand them completely. The minute philosopher of Berkeley, Mutatis Mutandis, might be applied to the atomic theory with as much justice as to the fluxionary calculus and I have heard more than one individual attempt to throw ridicule upon the atomic theory by nearly the same kind of arguments. The first chemists, then, who attempted to analyze the salts may be considered as contributing towards laying the foundation of the atomic theory, though they were not themselves aware of the importance of the structure which might have been raised upon their experiments, had they been made with the requisite precision. Bergmann was the first chemist who attempted regular analysis of salts. It was he that first tried to establish regular formulas for the analysis of mineral waters, stones, and ores by the means of solution and precipitation. Hence a knowledge of the constituents of the salts was necessary before his formulas could be applied to practice. It was to supply this requisite information that he set about analyzing the salts, and his results were long considered by chemists as exact, and employed by them to determine the results of their analysis. We now know that these analytical results of Bergman are far from accurate, that they have accordingly been laid aside as useless, but this knowledge has been derived from the progress of the atomic theory. The first accurate set of experiments to analyze the salts was made by Wenzel and published by him in 1777 in a small volume entitled Lehre von der Verwandtschaft der Körper or Theory of the Affinities of Bodies. These analyses of Wenzel are infinitely more accurate than those of Bergmann and indeed in many cases are equally precise with the best which we have even at the present day yet the book fell almost dead-born from the press. Wenzel's results never obtained the confidence of chemists, nor is his name ever quoted as an authority. Wenzel was struck with a phenomenon which had indeed been noticed by preceding chemists, but they had not drawn the advantages from it which it was capable of affording. There are several saline solutions which, when mixed with each other, completely decompose each other, so that two new salts are produced. Thus, if we mix together solutions of nitrate of lead and sulphate of soda in the requisite proportions, the sulphuric acid of the latter salt will combine with the oxide of lead of the former, and will form with it sulphate of lead, which will precipitate to the bottom in the state of an insoluble powder, while the nitric acid formerly united to the oxide of lead will combine with the soda formerly in union with the sulphuric acid, and form nitrate of soda, which being soluble, will remain in solution in the liquid. Thus, instead of the two old salts, sulphate of soda, nitrate of lead, we obtain the two new salts, sulphate of lead, nitrate of soda. If we mix the two salts in the requisite proportions, the decomposition will be complete. But if there be an excess of one of the salts, that excess will still remain in solution without affecting the result. If we suppose the two salts anhydrous, then the proportions necessary for complete decomposition are, sulfate of soda, 9, nitrate of lead, 20.75, total, 29.75. And the quantities of the new salts formed will be, sulfate of lead, Nineteen nitrate of soda ten point seven five total twenty nine point seven five we see that the absolute weights of the two sets of salts are the same all that has happened is that both the acids and both the bases have exchanged situations now if instead of mixing these two salts together in the preceding proportions we employ sulphate of soda nine Nitrate of lead 25.75, that is to say, if we employ five parts of nitrate of lead more than is sufficient for the purpose, we shall have exactly the same decompositions as before, but the five of excess of nitrate of lead will remain in solution, mixed with the nitrate of soda. There will be precipitated as before sulphate of lead 19 and there will remain in solution a mixture of nitrate of soda, 10.75, nitrate of lead, 5. The phenomena are precisely the same as before. The additional 5 of nitrate of lead have occasioned no alteration. The decomposition has gone on just as if they had not been present. Now, the phenomena which drew the particular attention of Wenzel is that if the salts were neutral before being mixed, the neutrality was not affected by the decomposition which took place on their mixture. Footnote. This observation is not without exception. It does not hold when one of the salts is a phosphate or an arseniate, and this is the cause of the difficulty attending the analysis of these genera of salts. End footnote. A salt is said to be neutral when it neither possesses the characters of an acid or an alkali. Acids redden vegetable blues, while alkalies render them green. A neutral salt produces no effect whatever upon vegetable blues. This observation of Wenzel is very important. It is obvious that the salts, after their decomposition, could not have remained neutral unless the elements of the two salts had been such that the bases in each just saturated the acids in either of the salts. The constituents of the two salts are as follows. 9 sulfate of soda are 5 sulfuric acid, 4 soda. 20.75 nitrate of lead are 6.75 nitric acid, 14 oxide of lead. Now it is clear that, unless 5-sulfuric acid were just saturated by 4-soda and by 14-oxide of lead, and 6.75 of nitric acid by the same 4-soda and 14-oxide of lead, the salts, after their decomposition, could not have preserved their neutrality. Had 4-soda required only 5.75 of nitric acid, or had fourteen oxide of lead required only four sulphuric acid to saturate them, the liquid after decomposition would have contained an excess of acid. As no such excess exists, it is clear that in saturating an acid four soda goes exactly as far as fourteen oxide of lead, and that in saturating a base. 5-sulfuric acid goes just as far as 6.75-nitric acid. Nothing can exhibit in a more striking point of view the almost despotic power of fashion and authority over the minds even of men of science, and the small number of them that venture to think for themselves, than the fact that this most important and luminous explanation of Wenzel, confirmed by much more accurate experience than any which chemistry has yet seen, is scarcely noticed by any of his contemporaries, and seems not to have attracted the smallest attention. In science it is as unfortunate for a man to get before the age in which he lives as to continue behind it. The admirable explanation of combustion by Hooke, and the important experiments on combustion and respiration by Mayo, were lost upon their contemporaries, and procured them little or no reputation whatever. While the same theory and the same experiments, advanced by Lavoisier and Priestley, a century later, when the minds of men of science were prepared to receive them, raised them to the very first rank among philosophers, and produced a revolution in chemistry. So much concern has fortune, not merely in the success of kings and conquerors, but in the reputation acquired by men of science. In the year 1792 another laborer in the same department of chemistry appeared. This was Jeremiah Benjamin Richter, a Prussian chemist of whose history I know nothing more than that his publications were printed and published in Breslau, from which I infer that he was a native of, or at least resided in, Silesia. He calls himself Assessor of the Royal Prussian Mines and Smelting-Houses and Arcanist of the Commission of Berlin Porcelain Manufacture. He died in the prime of life on the 4th of May 1807. In the year 1792 he published a work entitled Anfangsgründe der Stochiometrie oder chemischer Elemente Elements of Stoichiometry or The Mathematics of the Chemical Elements. A second and third volume of this work appeared in 1793, and a fourth volume in 1794. The object of this book was a rigid analysis of the different salts, founded on the fact just mentioned, that when two salts decompose each other, the salts newly formed are neutral as well as those which have been decomposed. He took up the subject nearly in the same way as Wenzel had done, but carried the subject much further, and endeavoured to determine the capacity of saturation of each acid and base, and to attach numbers to each, indicating the weights which mutually saturate each other. He gave the whole subject a mathematical dress, and endeavoured to show that the same relation existed between the numbers representing the capacity of saturation of these bodies, as does between certain classes of figurate numbers. When we strip the subject of the mystical form under which he presented it the labours of richter may be exhibited under the two following tables which represent the capacity of saturation of the acids and bases according to his experiments table one acids fluoric acid four hundred twenty seven carbonic acid five hundred seventy seven sebacic acid 706. muriatic acid, 712. Oxalic acid, 755. Phosphoric acid, 979. Formic acid, 988. Sulfuric acid, 1000. Succinic acid, 1209. Nitric acid, 1405. Acetic acid, 1480 citric acid 1683 tartaric acid 1694 table 2 bases alumina 525 magnesia 615 ammonia 672 lime 793 soda 859, strontium 1329, potash 1605, barytes 2222. To understand this table it is only necessary to observe that if we take the quantity of any of the acids placed after it in the table that quantity will be exactly saturated by the weight of each base put after it in the second column. Thus, 1,000 of sulphuric acid will be just saturated by 525 alumina, 615 magnesia, 672 ammonia, 733 lime, and so on. On the other hand, the quantity of any base placed after its name in the second column be just saturated by the weight of each acid placed after its name in the first column. Thus, 793 parts of lime will be just saturated by 427 of fluoric acid, 577 of carbonic acid, 706 of sebacic acid, and so on. This work of Richter was followed by a periodical work entitled Über die neuern Gegenstände der Chemie on the new objects of chemistry. This work was begun in the year 1792 and continued in twelve different numbers, or volumes, to the time of his death in 1807. Footnote. I have only seen eleven parts of this work, the last of which appeared in 1802, but I believe that a twelfth part was published afterwards. End footnote. Richter's labours in this important field produced as little attention as those of Wenzel. Galen wrote a short panegyric upon him at his death, praising his views and pointing out their importance, but I am not aware of any individual, either in Germany or elsewhere, who adopted Richter's opinions during his lifetime, or even seemed aware of their importance, unless we are to accept Bertolet, who mentions them with approbation in his chemical statics. This inattention was partly owing to the great want of accuracy which it is impossible not to be sensible of in Richter's experiments. He operated upon two large quantities of matter, which indeed was the common defect of the times, and was first checked by Dr. Wollaston. The dispute between the phlogistians and the antiphlogistians, which was not fully settled in Richter's time, drew the attention of chemists to another branch of the subject. Richter in some measure went before the age in which he lived, and had his labours not been recalled to our recollection by the introduction of atomic theory, he would probably have been forgotten, like Hooke and Mayo, and only brought again under review after the new discoveries in the science had put it in the power of chemists in general to appreciate the value of his labours. It is to Mr Dalton that we are indebted for the happy and simple idea from which the atomic theory originated. End of section 64.